This podcast is for information purposes only and is not and should not be construed as professional advice or an offer or commitment by any Rabobank group member to enter into a transaction. The views expressed by the presenter and or guest are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Rabobank. Please see the podcast description for our full disclaimer. Welcome to Rabo Talks Growing Our Future, where we talk to experts from both here in New Zealand and across the world to bring New Zealand farmers and growers the information they need to make informed, strategic decisions about the future direction of their business to ensure they continue to thrive in a fast-changing world. Primary producers in New Zealand and across the globe are increasingly being told that they will need to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions in their production systems. But it isn't always clear exactly how these reductions will be achieved. There are lots of different ways to begin to reduce emissions, or at least have a plan around emission reductions. But to maintain a profitable, productive and competitive agriculture sector that can successfully meet reduction targets, there is a need for new technologies and innovations to be developed and shared with farmers and growers. I'm your host today, Katie Rodwell, and we're exploring the role that new technology and innovations could play in helping New Zealand farmers reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. We're really fortunate to have the best man for the job, the CEO of the world's first public-private partnership between government and major agribusiness companies established for the purpose of helping farmers reduce their emissions while maintaining profitability and productivity. AgriZero's CEO, Wayne McNee. Wayne, welcome to RoboTalk's Growing Our Future podcast. Kia ora, Katie. It's good to be here. What would be good to get us started is if you could give us a bit of insight into your background and your career to date and maybe how you started uh, your role at AgriZero. Yeah, well, I was born and brought up in Omaru, Wamaru, as it's now said, on a small sheep farm. And my father and grandfather had sawmills in Oamaru and Palmerston. So uh, we were a sawmilling family. I originally trained as a pharmacist at Otago University and worked as a hospital pharmacist and hospital pharmacy manager in the UK for quite a few years and then came back to New Zealand in 1995. And after that, I went to Pharmac, the drug funding agency. I was chief executive there for eight years, then chief executive of the Ministry of Fisheries, director general of the Ministry of Agriculture and Forestry. I was the first director general of MPI, so put together the Food Safety Authority, Fisheries and MAF to form MPI. And then I went to be Chief Executive of Livestock Improvement Corporation for eight years. And uh, yeah, I left there a couple of years ago and initially worked as a consultant helping set AgriZero up and then um, have become the first Chief Executive as of uh, about a year ago. Wow. I've really loved being back in the primary sector, you know, quite a long time out of it. And I love the people in the sector, usually pretty straightforward and good to deal with. And as I've often said, the engine room of New Zealand's economy, and I think it will continue to be for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Wow, what an impressive background. So just out of interest, what was the reason for the move from sort of the pharmacy medical world back into agriculture? It's a tough job being the CEO of Pharmac, and I'd done it for eight years, and I was actually getting pretty tired of it. So I initially went into the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet when Helen Clark was Prime Minister on secondment, and... And then I was actively looking for something new to do. I wanted to stay in government at that stage, so sort of put my hand up for roles as they came along. And the first one that came along was the Ministry of Fisheries, which I knew almost nothing about. But uh, I guess leadership is leadership, and the fisheries industry is a fantastic industry. I love working with them. So that was kind of the start of the move back to primary and, and carried on from there. 
Amazing. How cool. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. Could you give us a bit more detail about what AgriZero is, why it was established, and sort of what the purpose is, I suppose? Yeah, well, AgriZero NZ is our trading name. We were established initially by six companies that worked across the primary sector, so Rabobank, Ravenstown, Silverfern Farms, Ansco, Fonterra, and Sinlay. They were all members of the Sustainable Business Council, and I was on the board of Sustainable Business Council. And I worked with them to put together the coalition and uh, and with Mike Burrell from the SBC. And together we approached the government uh, late 2021, I think it was, or early 22, with a proposal to form a joint venture, half crown funded, half primary sector funded, focusing on finding tools for farmers to reduce emissions from methane and nitrous oxide. That's entirely our focus. And the government thought that was a good idea, climate change budget 2022. So they agreed to match funding up to $50 million a year from the private sector. And at the moment, we have $165 million of capital over about three years to invest. And the first year of that has, has already passed. Probably going to be some new shareholders join through this coming year. We're talking to a number of primary sector companies at the moment. And back to what we do, well, our ambition is to ensure all farmers in Aotearoa have equitable access to affordable, effective solutions to reduce biogenic methane and nitrous oxide, with a goal of a 30% reduction in emissions by 2030 and near zero by 2040. And that ambition has proven to be somewhat controversial because it's a lot more ambitious than the government's targets, but it was led by the companies that formed us saying, well, our customers are saying they want significant scope three emissions reductions. The 10% is not going to be enough. We need to do better than that. So how can how can we do something to really stretch, I guess, raise the bar on, on what the ambition is? So it is ambition. It's not a target, but that's what we are trying to achieve. And what's the strategy or approach, I guess, to achieving that ambition? Because as you say, it's quite lofty, which is great. But what does that practically look like at the moment? Yeah, before I get on to I'll just emphasise, you know, the key driver here is a customer driver for the processes. Got Nestle with 25% reduction by 2025 and 50% by 2030. McDonald's 36% by 2030. Danone 30% by 2030. Mars 42% by 2025. Those are all absolute emissions reductions. And they are, they are coming to our processes and saying, we want you to help us with deliver on this. And in fact, they're saying if you don't help us deliver on it, then we might look elsewhere for some of our product. So it is, it's a pretty important thing from that perspective. The three areas we're focusing on, um, the first is what we call catalyst. So unblocking constraints in the system, providing funding for research facilities. Uh, like We've invested in building some new methane measurement facilities at Massey University looking at things that are applied to all, all of the potential things. So, you know, up farmer uptake, for example, you know, what are the challenges to getting farmer uptake of technology and investing and helping with that? Probably the main area is ventures. We're investing as an equity investor in a number of companies. We've invested in two so far, one in New Zealand, one in the United States. We've got more coming. So this is companies that are developing technology that New Zealand pastoral farming systems could use helping them get that technology to market and then working with them to bring it here and get it approved by the regulators here. So there's quite a long pathway to get regulatory approval, but yeah, making sure we're a priority for those companies that are developing that technology and they just don't go for the other markets like Europe or the United States. Just on that, Wayne, do they sort of pitch to you guys or have you got a team that are kind of looking at what's out there and what might be 
most beneficial to the New Zealand market? Like, How does that kind of work in terms of how you decide where you invest that capital? It's a bit of both. So we're doing market scanning all the time. We have people go to the big world agri-tech conferences and there's one in San Francisco, there's one in, uh, in London last year. We attend those and, and meet people who are developing technology. We, we contact all the universities around the world who are working in this area to see what they've got and whether they're going to spin anything out into a startup. Uh, and people approach us now that we're starting to get known. After a year, we get people contacting us with all sorts of wonderful ideas. So, you know, quite often they're quite early stage technologies, often only laboratory-based research. So it's it's helping identify the ones that will work for a New Zealand farmer and then getting them through that animal trial phase, which is, is quite a bit expensive. And the last thing is what we call strategy and engagement. So this is working with the regulators, uh, working with MPI, working with the EPA, helping understand how the regulatory system is working, helping improve it or streamline it. So working with them and the companies that have got new tech to think, about, okay, what do we have to do to get these things into farmers' hands and how we can make it, can we make it easier? Well, still, you know, we need to have a regulatory framework, clearly, but it has to be possible to get through it and it's been pretty challenging so far. And I know so far Agri, Zero and Zed's made four investments to date. Can you talk to us a little bit about what those are? Yeah, so the first was ruminant biotech. So this is a rumen bolus to reduce emissions in ruminant animals. And the, the benefit of a bolus is that you could hopefully you know, apply it once every six months or so and you get a, a sustained release of a technology in the animal that will reduce emissions. So the, the theory behind that means it's you know it could be perfect for a New Zealand pastoral system. Hoofprint Biome is a US-based startup which is developing a, a novel technology to reduce methane emissions in the rumen. Uh, it's a probiotic, but it's it's somewhat different to the cow butcher product that Fonterra is working on, but similar kind of concept. You you feed it to animals. The benefit of, of it at the moment, we think, is it'll only have to be fed maybe every two or three days or, or maybe less often to modify the rumen, which which could work in more of our systems than a you know, twice-daily feed. The investment in the AgriSearch program, which has been going on for some time, and methane vaccine and methane inhibitor development. So we've committed to one year of funding of that while we review that work and decide whether or not we want to accelerate it or, or how we want to invest going forward. And lastly, as I mentioned earlier, measure, building a measurement facility at Massey University Dairy Farm. We've got a couple more announcements that will be coming soon. We're just waiting for their rounds to close. But yeah, no, it's, there's lots of potential technology out there. It's, it's identifying the ones that could work in New Zealand as opposed to high input farming systems or feedlot beef systems. So yeah, that's, that's the things we've invested in so far. I guess the challenge also will be, you know, as you said, there will be so many people coming with different solutions and being able to prioritise and be clear about which ones you're going to back and not. And, you know, that I imagine that's going to be challenging at times, I suppose. Yeah, the first thing is the science assessment. So we work with the NZAGRC and offshore science advisors to assess whether the technology actually could possibly work. How robust is the science they've done so far? How realistic is it that it could be scaled, etc.? So that's the first part of the assessment. And there's, then there's a, an assessment of you know what value would we bring? So there's quite a lot of investment funding out there at the moment from around the world, from ventures funds that are looking, looking to put money into sustainability. So what, what's our value add? If these products are going to get to market anyway, then why should we be investing? Mostly that's to work with them to get them to come to New Zealand. You know, we think we're an important market, but we're very small by world scale standards. And yeah, it's just making sure we're on the radar when they manufacture product, they go through the regulatory system, et cetera. 
it's really good fun, challenging. We were learning really fast, as you can imagine, because when we started just under a year ago, we were 11 people now. We started from scratch a year ago. So that's about the size we'll probably be, sort of 12, 13 people maybe. Awesome. And what role do you see technologies and new innovations in reducing future agricultural emissions in terms of what's the potential size or scale of those reductions that you think we'll be able to achieve? Yeah, well, there's already some technologies that can be used in high input systems like DSM's Bovir, which reduces emissions, methane emissions by about 30%. And that's proven and is available in some markets now. It does have to be fed continuously to the animal to achieve that 30%, so not very practical for most of our farming systems. There are other new tools that are more about intensity improvement, so 10 to 15% improvement in the intensity of the emissions, so that may be by improving productivity of the animal rather than necessarily reducing absolute emissions. There's a few tools around like that that we are looking at at the moment that you know, could be used potentially reasonably soon with low regulatory barriers. And, you know, if it's got a productivity improvement, then farmers will be more interested in it initially than if it's um, just purely an emissions reduction. Because at the moment, they don't get any benefit from reducing emissions apart from, you know, feeling like they're doing the right thing. But over time, I think that will change. There are other things farmers can do now, like improving fertility rates, rebalancing their stocking. There are some low emissions feeds like um, fodder beet, uh, managing fertiliser applications, those things can improve, you know, reduce emissions on farm with tools that are available now. There are tools in the development that are claiming 80% or more emissions reductions. The challenge with those is understanding what is the impact on the animal if you do that. The animal's making methane, the methanogens in the rumen are processing the carbon and the hydrogen to make methane, it then gets released. If you're not making methane, what happens to all that hydrogen in, in particular? And understanding the animal welfare impacts, you know, that's important as you start to get those much bigger emissions reductions. So lots of work going on there, and we are starting to understand more and more about, you know, consequences. You must make sure the animal's welfare is is protected and also clearly that there's no residues that end up in the milk or meat that would be damaging to humans. So clearly that work needs to be done as well. Mm, quite complex because I suppose you know, the natural production of methane's part of the biological workings of a cow, I imagine. I mean, I'm no scientist, but, you know, it's obviously part of how they operate. So being careful around how you manage that and change it and whatever over time will be important. It is a waste product. So, you know, the cow is losing energy when it produces it. But yes, we do need to fully understand the consequences of of changes. And that's why, you know, it's taking a while to get some of these products through the, the research program. Mm. That leads me nicely into another question. So what what sort of timeframes should farmers and growers anticipate some of these solutions or commercialisation of these solutions to really materialise? Yeah, I would say I'm optimistic there'll be two or three tools farmers will be able to use by about 2028. You know, there are some things coming maybe a bit earlier than that, but quite low efficacy, as I said, maybe 10 to 15% reductions. But the more potent tools, I think, we'll be looking by the time they get through the regulatory approvals, more like 2028. And Bovier may be earlier, although they haven't actually applied in New Zealand for approval yet. Uh, but as I said, it's like it's, it's really only a really high input system tool at the moment. Look, I'm optimistic with what we're seeing now and, and all of the research that's going into this area. Huge amount of investment around the world, not just us, but big philanthropic funders putting in large investments like the Gates Foundation and Jeff Bezos Earth Fund and the Grantham Foundation. 
They are also very focused on pastoral systems, which is good for us because they're thinking about Africa and South America, where a lot of the world's ruminants are. And so their investment is looking at the same kind of tools that, that we are, and we are partnering with them in some of the investments. So with all the effort that's going in, I'm confident we will have some tools for farmers in that time frame. And if they're in farmers' hands by 2028, will that give us enough time to meet that 2030 ambition? That is a good question because clearly it will depend how easy they are to use for farmers, what the costs are, what the incentives are for farmers to take them up. There's a lot of discussion now with the customers I talked about earlier around potentially providing incentives to farmers through processes for uptaking emissions-reducing technologies. And we've seen the first of that with Nestle and, and Fonterra. So, yeah, it'll be about putting all of that together, lots of education for farmers around what the benefit is for them, and it has to be relatively easy to use. If it requires a significant change in farming practice, it won't happen. We know that. So it will depend a bit on what these tools are. That's the big challenge. We'll we'll be able to get the uptake at the scale in that kind of time period. And if we've had some things earlier, so the farm systems changes I talked about earlier, maybe some of these sort of 10 to 15% reductions, we may be fairly well on the way by the time we get to those more potent tools becoming available. Is there anything that farmers can be doing now or things that they should be considering to best position themselves to capitalise on future technologies so that when they are ready, they can sort of move a bit quicker? So there's this advice now from Beef and Lamb and Dairy and Z and Fonterra around things that farmers can do now on their farm to improve the efficiency of their farming system and reduce the emissions with the tools that are available to them now. And, they, you know, they should be understanding what those are and we're applicable using them in their farming system now. Keep an eye on things like the Ag Matters website that NZAGRC runs, which has lots of information around how to apply the things that are available now and how you can how you can use those. And as more things become available, they'll they'll go up there and, and Dairy NZ and Beef and Lamb will be talking about them and so will processes. So, Really what they can do now is what they can do now. They can't, you know, a lot of farmers get worried about the future and I can understand that, but they can't really change what's going to happen as a result of those customer demands. What they can do is, you know, take the tools that are available to them now and just become a keep aware. So there are some farmers we're talking to, I won't name them, but we'll be early adopters. So using the technologies when they first become available, trialling them on the farms, and then talking about it, so yeah, making that information available to other farmers to help them understand how to how to use those tools. Yeah, because farmers love learning from other farmers as well that have got similar systems and same challenges or opportunities. In terms of what our competitors are doing in this space, probably more globally, Wayne, are they also investing in solutions like we are? What's the kind of playing field there? Yeah, our competitors are making rapid progress at the moment. So it's, it is recognised that New Zealand is amongst the most efficient farming countries in the world, possibly the most efficient in terms of emissions production for the production of, of meat and milk. But other countries are catching up fast. And it's estimated at the moment that within two to three years, some of those other markets will pass us. If you look at what's happening in California dairy, for example, Massive subsidies going in, but putting biodigesters, closing the barn up, putting biodigesters on and capturing all the methane, selling the methane, selling the credits. You can reduce methane emissions enormously if you do that. Those big effluent systems that they can put in to reduce emissions from effluent, uh, those closed farming systems have, have more opportunity to act. They're behind us at the moment because of the intensity of the way they 
you know, they cut and carry all the feed and everything, but they they have the potential to pass us. And there is a lot of investment going in from US government, European governments into this area. So it's an opportunity and a risk. So we are recognised at the moment as being ahead. We will just have to keep on making sure we stay that way. But yeah, there is an enormous amount of public and private investment internationally into this area and just in the last sort of five years. And I guess it sort of talks to the fact that we'll have to make sure, like we have done for, for years, is really making sure we're communicating our farm system story really well because, you know, whilst those, you know, the likes of California dairies will see large reductions probably quite quickly, we've got quite a different story to tell. So making sure that we're clearly communicating that will be vital, I suppose, to differentiating ourselves in the market. Yeah, and so certainly the, the you know, grass-fed story is, is one that resonates with a lot of consumers, but also, you know, regenerative farming and the work that's happening there and the trial work that's happening uh, yeah, it's, it's a total package, isn't it, when you're certainly at the customer-consumer level, um, making sure that story is well communicated so that they understand the whole the whole farm system in New Zealand, the animal welfare benefits of animals being outside, and all of that is an important part of our story. Mm. And do you think the development of these emission reduction technologies could be a source of competitive advantage for us? Uh, potentially, but at the moment it's possibly a disadvantage because of the farming system. We start off ahead, but we'll need to find tools that work in our system. Again, I said earlier, I think it's possible. I think we're certainly seeing the kind of tools that should be useful for New Zealand pastoral farming. Uh, and so we, we could potentially add that to our, all of the other great things we do in our sheep, beef, deer and dairy farms and and be you know even more efficient from a an emissions perspective, as well as all the other great things that we just talked about. Wayne, I love to ask all of my guests what their view of like our agriculture sector or farming systems will look like in 2050. Um, given your kind of unique experience and your current role, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. 2050 is a long way away. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's hard to make predictions, and I'm not a great fan, to be fair, of 2050 goals either because you know, chief executives all around the world have been saying, oh, in 2050, my company will be carbon zero, but they won't be there. Uh, and the promises yeah. they're making are, are kind of irrelevant for that time frame. So I, I personally think the kind of 2030, 2040 time frames are more practical. I would hope if we have to look out into 2050 that, you know, our pastoral farming system will continue to be the predominantly way we farm. There'll be some land use change un- undoubtedly with the way the climate is changing with more of a move to horticulture and farm forestry. But I, I would certainly be, I'd be hopeful that we we retain a, a predominantly pastoral farming system, dairy, sheep, beef and deer, and that we take advantage of these tools as they become available to remain the most efficient producer of those products. And, you know, I think at the moment there's a lot of demand for good animal protein. There are competitors coming from plant-based proteins and there's a lot of work happening in cell-based proteins which does worry me but again if we come back to the story we can tell behind our product and if we tell that story well I think consumers will you know high value consumers will will recognize that and value it so yeah 2050 is a long way away but that would be my my hope nice before we wrap up Wayne any other kind of key messages or tips for uh, New Zealand farmers and growers only what I, what I said earlier, so take the actions you can take now and listen to the advice as it becomes available. Keep your eye out for the new technologies, try and improve your understanding, but you can only take the actions that you can take now. 
there is a lot of investment going in in this area. There will be tools available for farmers over time to reduce their emissions. And you don't worry about the things you can't control. So it's, I think there's lots farmers can do now and there'll, and there'll be more. But yeah, remain optimistic, I guess, that keep on being the best at what we are and that they will be recognised by customers and consumers around the world. That's great advice and great to just keep that optimism and, and you know, rest and knowing that we do have AgriZero doing this work for us. Because I think, you know, at the moment, the biggest frustration, I guess, or challenge for farmers is we're being told to do these reductions, and but we don't really know how. So I think it's so cool to know that we've got a business like yours doing that work and really focusing on the commercialisation of getting products or solutions into the hands of our, our farmers and growers. So it's... um. Yeah, it's awesome to see the work that you're doing. So, Wayne, um, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to catch up and to get your perspective and to hear a little bit more about what AgriZero are doing. And we will watch um, intently over the next few years as things develop. Thanks for that. And I'd, again, like to thank our investors because without them, we wouldn't exist. So the massive commitment by the private sector and the government coming to the party, I think, has given us a massive opportunity. So, um, yeah, thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. Yeah, it's, but it's neat to be able to support. I mean, I'm going to speak from Rabobank's perspective, obviously, here, but it's really, it's a nice way for us to be able to support our clients and saying that, you know, this is one way that we can try and help you guys on farm. So, yeah, it's great. Wayne, thank you so much. Um, enjoy the rest of your afternoon and we'll catch up soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Rabo Talks Growing Our Future podcast. If you are interested in learning more about how Rabobank can support you to succeed into the future, please go to rabobank.co.nz.